Hey, it's good to be back with you. Um, we are working on this series, Kingdom Fit. This series, follow-up to our last series, which was the Upside Down Kingdom. In that series, we really looked at, all right, what is this kingdom of God? What is it like? What is it about? What sort of person does the kingdom of God create? This series is a follow-up to that series because it's focused on practically how do we become this kingdom fit person, this person that is able to do the right thing at the right time, even in very difficult situations? How do we train with Jesus so that we become like him in thought, word, and deed? Um, one of the things, or the, the last message, the first message in this series, is we talked about three foundational truths that we have to keep in mind when we pursue kingdom fitness. And, and here's what those truths were. So the first one was, let me get there. For some reason, this has been jumping around on me. I'm going to have to check this out. The first, the first thing, the first foundational truth that we talked about last week is that kingdom fitness is immensely valuable. Remember, we looked at a, a passage of scripture where the apostle Paul was saying that Training in godliness is v valuable in every way. And I think the reason why the Apostle Paul said this is because training in godliness, becoming kingdom fit, is a process that not only includes our body, our physical body, but also it includes our hearts, which is this invisible part of us that does all of our feeling, choosing, thinking, and really sets the, the trajectory of our life. And, and once the heart is changed, then that changes how you spend your money. That changes how you spend your time. That changes how you work and, and do work. That changes how you play. It changes how you relate to yourself, how you relate to other people. That's why training in godliness is valuable in every way because it will totally change your life in all of its facets. The second foundational truth that we covered last week is that God has given us everything we need to grow. The, the Apostle Peter made this clear in 2 Peter 1.3 that he has given us everything we need to grow to become kingdom fit. Namely, the Holy Spirit. And we talked a little bit about the Holy Spirit's role in our growth. The third foundational truth that we covered last week, in, in the final one we covered last week, is that growing in kingdom fitness requires, requires effort on our part. That we will not grow if we do not put forth effort. This is extremely critical. And that's why you'll... You'll hear the Apostle Paul say things like in 1 Corinthians 9, 26, and 27. So I run with purpose in every step. I am not just shadow boxing. I discipline my body like an athlete, training it to do what it should. Otherwise, I fear that after preaching to others, I myself might be disqualified. And so you see in these verses, like, Paul lived this intentional, disciplined life. He had a plan, and he went after it. He, he worked hard as he went after it. So, this morning what I'm going to talk about is a couple more foundational truths that we need before we really dive into how we can train with Jesus to be like, become like him. And I'm going to talk about two traps that we are all in danger of falling in as we pursue kingdom fitness. 
So let's pray. We'll take a look at those things. Lord, thank you so much that you love us and that you desire to be with us in a deep, intimate way so that you can rework us from the inside out, so that you can change our desires, our affections, our thinking, how we relate to our emotions, how we uh, go about making our choices. Lord, we are in deep need of that. We need to be transformed. We need renewal. We need to be restored so that we live in step with you and your spirit so that our lives is an accurate reflection of your glory. Lord, we know that we are utterly dependent upon you in this process. And so we pray that you would be our teacher now, that you would show us um, what it looks like to be with you for the purpose of growth. I pray that our hearts would be open and attentive to what you want to speak to us this morning. It's in the mighty name of Jesus that I pray, the God that transforms. Amen. All right, so let me first tell you about the two traps that we can fall into when we seek kingdom to become kingdom fit. And I talked a little bit about this last Sunday, but I, for whatever reason, God put this on my heart to share a little bit more about today. The two traps are passivity on one end of the spectrum and independent effort on the other end of the spectrum. These are the two traps that we must avoid in our uh, desire to become kingdom fit. Um, Look, if we buy into the lie that we can be passive in our spiritual growth, there is going to be very little fruit. We are going to be very unproductive in it. Second uh, Peter 1, 5 through 8 tells us so. Uh, Peter writes, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, virtue, in virtue with knowledge, in knowledge with self-control, in self-control with steadfastness, in steadfastness with godliness, in godliness with brotherly affection, in brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. It is possible to be a Christian, Peter is saying, and be completely unfruitful and unproductive as a Christian. And if we fall into this lie that spiritual growth takes no effort on our part, we are going to remain spiritual children in our journey of faith. I think Christians often fall into this camp of passivity because they believe, they, they have this false belief that any move towards effort is a move away from grace. They believe falsely that any move towards effort is always a move away from grace. They believe that this, if they put effort into their faith, it's going to put them right in danger of falling into works righteousness. A friend of mine by the name of Ben Sternke, he's a Christian leader and He's a blogger, 
And I uh, came across an article or a blog post that he wrote, and he was recalling being a part of a small group. And he recalls telling his small group that God was leading him to have more discipline in his life. And Ben, he says in this blog post that that his well-meaning leader felt it was necessary to remind him that it was all about God's grace and that we can't make him love us any more or any less by our obedience. And then the leader quickly moved to the next person. This is how Ben felt. He stated, he wrote, I I left feeling discouraged. I really did feel God was leading me toward putting some effort into my faith. But whenever I shared these kinds of thoughts, it seemed that people would nervously talk about grace and change the subject. There are many Christians that are so afraid of slipping into this work righteousness mentality and so emphasize God's grace in the spiritual growth process that they have no plan for growing and they have no discipline in their spiritual life. And therefore, they have very little growth. And what this leads to, passivity leads to unfruitfulness and that leads to disappointment. Because these people, without the discipline and the effort that's required, they continue to struggle with the same sins year after year. And that leads to disappointment in the faith. There's a let go and let God theology that has creeped into the church. And it is dangerous. Let me tell you why. It's good in one sense if you mean by let go, let God... If you mean this, that there are situations and circumstances outside of our control. And in those situations and circumstances, we need to let go and really just trust that God who is in control has no circumstance that is outside of his control. And he's going to work that out. That's good. But often, this let go and let God theology that has crept into our church has made us believe that we do not need to put forth any effort in our spiritual formation. That we simply sit back and God does all the work for us. That's extremely dangerous. Now, the other trap on the end of, uh, the other end of the spectrum, way opposite of passivity, is independent effort. And this is extremely dangerous too and will lead to unfruitfulness in our spiritual growth. So, independent effort, and a lot of people fall into this camp, they catch a vision for what life in the kingdom can be and what it looks like, and then it's like they go 100 miles an hour after it, and there are all kinds of discipline, uh, and, and they have all kinds of structure in their life to pursue this vision, and yet... They're doing it all by willpower, all by independent effort. And what ends up happening is they burn out. And independent effort in the spiritual life leads to a point of frustration. Because what happens is you're given it all you got, and you have little growth to show for it. And so you become really frustrated, and you can become disillusioned and burned out. Here's the thing. 
With these two traps of independent effort and passivity, I think we all have a tendency to lean towards one of these. And so I want you to consider right now, what do you have a tendency towards? Is it passivity in, the, in your faith journey, or is it independent effort? This is largely dependent upon your personality. For those of you who are familiar with the Enneagram, if you're a one, you're going to have a, it's like a pr- way to describe dip- different people's personalities than en- 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 Enneagram is. If you're a one, chances are you're going to have a tendency to a lot of independent effort. If you are a three, probably as well. If you are a nine or a five, you're probably, and even a six, there's going to be a tendency towards passivity. A lot of it depends, too, on our background. If we had a a bad experience with a very legalistic church that was all about being regimented and all about discipline and all about you got to work, 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 chances are we may really buck against that and go all the way to the other end of passivity, right? Um, If we had a very lax culture and nobody was really passionately pursuing Jesus, and that's what we've experienced, that's been our background, then we may go in the complete opposite direction as a way of, you know, kicking against that, and maybe we put just a whole bunch of discipline and effort into our, our faith journey. So what is it for you? What is it for you? If you find yourself in the area of passivity, you need more discipline. God is calling you this morning to have more discipline in your journey with him. He's calling you to have a plan. He's calling you to not shadow box, not beat at the air without thinking. He's calling you to be more, have, have more discipline. If you really struggle with working too hard independently from God, he's calling you to embrace the grace that embraces you. He's calling you to lean into grace. He's calling you to lean into being dependent upon him, learning how to be dependent upon him moment by moment. He may even be calling you, if you really struggle with independent effort, into a season of rest where you don't put forth any effort for a season. Is there a better way than passivity and independent effort there is, and it is grace-empowered effort. You see, grace and effort, they were meant to work together. They weren't meant to be opposed to one another. Let me explain how so grace and effort were meant to work together. Let me give you three reasons, and I'll try and move through these pretty quickly. The first one is that grace, grace motivates effort. Grace always precedes effort. It always does. This is one of the main trends we see in all of scriptures, especially in the New Testament. And it is grace that gives us the greatest motivation for working hard in our spiritual formation. If you look at the New Testament writings of Paul and Peter, what you will find, probably in every case, you will find Paul and Peter both giving a lengthy description of God's grace towards us. 
And then they move into what our response should be, right? Which is effort. Check out Ephesians 1, 3 through 8. This is just an excerpt of the first three chapters of Ephesians, if you were to read them. It's all about God's goodness and grace towards the Ephesian believers. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace by which he made us accepted in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace, which he made to abound toward us in all wisdom and prudence. That's just an excerpt of the grace and the goodness that God has shown the Ephesians and he has shown us, right? And then Paul writes in Ephesians for what the Ephesian believer's response should be. It should be effort because of the grace that God has shown us. I, therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you, like can Paul say it any more strongly here? Beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called, with all lowliness and gentleness, with long suffering, bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. And then in Ephesians 4 22 through 24 and 30 through 32, put off concerning your former conduct the old man which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lust, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind. And that you put on the new man which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. Verse 30. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. And be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as, Christ and, even as God in Christ forgave you. Grace preceding effort. That's what we see. Same thing in 2 Peter 1. His divine power, grace, right, has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. All grace, right? For this reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with and then the whole long list. Grace is the ultimate motivator for spiritual formation, for kingdom pursuing kingdom fitness it's a way better motivator than fear let me tell you why imagine a teacher a teacher who uh, gets her students to toe the line because she is always saying to them what will happen if they don't right and so by fear she utilizes fear to keep them in check now her students, they may toe the line, but are they ever going to go above and beyond what the teacher asks? No, they're going to do the bare minimal amount of effort they need to put in so that they avoid the pain of punishment. But if you have a teacher that is for, she's for her students, she goes above and beyond helping them succeed. She is loving and full of grace, even through the failings of her students, guess what? They're going to they're gonna toe the line. 
But they're going to even have motivation to go above and beyond for this teacher because this teacher has loved them so well. Grace is the greatest motivator for discipline in the spiritual life. The The people that I see that understand God's grace the most are the ones that I find have the most disciplined spiritual life and put forth the most effort in growing in Christ-likeness. Because out of gratitude, they are just so overwhelmed by the goodness of God, and they want to love him in return. And one way they do that is by becoming more like him. All right. Number two. So grace motivates effort. Grace sustains effort. We often think of grace as a one-time gift that we receive when we um, respond to the gospel and accept Jesus into our life and have him as our savior. Grace is not a one-time gift. If we think of grace as a one-time gift, we can have this idea that, all right, once we are accepted by God... Once we receive this undeserved favor and we're in God's favor, we no longer need grace, which can really thrust us into that independent effort as we go about seeking kingdom fitness, which is a dangerous trap, as we've talked about. So, uh, one way to think about grace, other than just undeserved favor, is God acting generously and powerfully to do for us what we cannot do for ourselves, which of course includes God removing our sin record, but it also includes so much more. It also includes grace for us growing in kingdom fitness. God's grace is an ongoing gift that we need not just to begin the Christian life, but we need it every step of the way. And it meets us as we put forth effort into being with Jesus, to to train with him so we can learn how to live like him. Paul writes in Colossians 1.29, For this I toil, struggling, struggling and toiling. Struggling and toiling. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. Effort, grace. Effort, grace. They're not opposed. They work together. 2 Corinthians 9, 8. God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. Is grace a one-time gift? No. So that you will have all sufficiency in all things at all times. 2 Peter 1, 2 records Peter's prayer that God would multiply his grace to his the recipients of his letter. Second P- Peter 3.18 tells us that we are to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Grace is not a static thing. We can, we, there's room for us to grow in our experience of it, our understanding of it. God has more grace that he wants to give you. He, he wants to just, he wants to continue to pour grace into your life. This, I think, is awesome. We cannot, because here, we cannot, we cannot grow in kingdom fitness without effort. But we cannot grow in kingdom fitness 
without God's enabling grace. We need both. Last week, and, and I, I feel like God's grace works this way. So last week I mentioned that I got this new grinder that was given to me that I have no idea how to use. And I really don't want to sharpen my fingers with it. I want to sharpen my uh, mower blades, right? Well, Chris Davis, also known as Corky Davis, he shows up at my house, pulls, you know, comes and he's like, hey man, I want to help you learn how to use that grinder that you got, Right? And we'll build a stand for it. And I was just like, this is awesome. Chris is saying that, look, when you get around to putting forth effort and learning how to use your grinder, guess what? I'm going to be there. I don't have to be there. You didn't earn my presence of you, me being there. I'm gonna, I freely decide to bless you with my presence so that you can work, learn to work with my wisdom uh, helping you to do what you can't do on your own, and that's use a grinder. It, it, it's like grace and effort coming together to enable us to do what we can't do on ourselves, you know, in our own power. Thirdly, and I'll close with this, grace frees our effort to fail. So grace motivates effort. It sustains effort because it meets us when we put forth effort. And... It frees our effort to fail. What do I mean by this? Look, if we're going to try and live for Jesus, and if we're going to try and really grow in our spiritual formation so that we become increasingly kingdom fit, and so that we're able to even love our enemies, and we're able to um, re handle our anger in right ways, and so that we're able to not judge people with limited information, and so that we're we're free to do things without caring what people think of us. If, if this is what we're going to be able to do, and we're, we're, if we're going to become the sort of person that does these things naturally, we have to have room to try different things and fail at it. You're not going to learn a new thing if there isn't permission to fail. Chances are you're not even going to try it. You're not even going to venture out and trying it if there is no permission to fail. You see, God's grace, when we fail, it restarts us, right? It, it dusts us off and puts us back up on the horse so that we can continue pursuing our training in godliness. God, and, and, and if our training needs to be readjusted, God will, God will graciously readjust us. Look, if, if part of our training plan is not to get defensive when our spouse is upset with us and we fail, yes, there, there, may, need, there may be room for repentance and, you know, godly repentance, but there's no need to wallow in shame and self-pity. I know when my boys do something wrong, and they come and they admit they're wrong and they say they're sorry. Every single time, what is my response when they do this? I forgive you. Every time, I forgive you. And guess what? As a father, and I am sinful in many ways and have a ton of room to grow in you know, kingdom fitness. If I'm able to, like, I'm not dwelling on it anymore. I'm not thinking about it anymore, nor do I want one of my boys dwelling on the wrong that they committed. Let's move forward, right? Let's, let's continue pushing you towards Jesus. That's how God is with us. No, there, there's none of this, you know, just him 
you know, thinking about it constantly. He doesn't want us to feel guilt and shame. The enemy does. He does not. And so when we train with Jesus, there's going to be different things we're going to have to try. There's going to be different spiritual disciplines we're going to engage in. We'll talk about those. Guess what? You may not do them very well at the beginning. You're still going to mess up and make mistakes. That's okay. Often we learn the most through our failure. And so that's why God lets us fail. Because <laughs> he knows there's going to be more growth in us failing than, uh, and than uh, in us succeeding right from the beginning. So let's review. Let's put last sermon and this sermon together, right? Um, let's see if I can do this. Kingdom fitness, immensely valuable. God has given us everything we need to become kingdom fit. We must put forth grace-empowered effort into growing in kingdom fitness, for it is God's grace that motivates our effort, sustains our effort, and frees our effort to fail. These are the foundational truths that I believe we must hold to as we pursue our growth in kingdom living. Now, I think we are ready, finally, to get into the very details of what this looks like. Pray with me. Lord, you are so good to us. You know exactly what we need when we need it. You are gracious to us. Lord, you, your grace is, is amazing. It's amazing grace. It truly is. Thank you that um, it's the starting place for our pursuit of growing in your likeness, that it's what really motivates us. Where We do it not to earn your favor, but because we already have it and want to please you and love you back and experience the abundant life that you have come to give us. Lord, thank you that your grace also sustains our effort, that your mercies are new each morning. Your grace is new each morning. And as we take steps in the direction of effort and as we seek to work with all we've got, we can count on you um, working in us and through us. And I think we'll find that actually you're doing the heavy lifting, even though we're working hard. Lord, thank you also that you give us freedom to fail. That you're a, a loving father that dusts us back off and gets us back on the path. And you're our biggest cheerleader, and you want us to succeed more than we even desire to succeed. Thank you for that. Lord, I pray that the people here would not fall into those two traps of passivity on one hand and independent effort on the other hand, but that we would work and toil empowered by your grace. Help us to learn how to do that. We love you, Jesus. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.